I came across a, uh, <clears throat> a prayer recently that I wanted to share with you. I thought this was so good. I don't know who originally said this prayer, but um, the prayer goes like this. It says, Dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I have not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. So far today, I have not whined, cursed, or even eaten any chocolate. (laughs) However, I'm going to get out of bed in a few minutes, and I will need a lot more help after that. (laughs) Amen. Now, some of you probably can relate, right? Like, I haven't done so, it hasn't been so bad so far, but I'm about to get out of bed this morning, and I know I need a lot more help after that. In fact, really, we realize that, I mean, as soon as you get up, you don't have to put your feet out on the floor, but as soon as we wake up in the morning, we're already faced with choices. And with choices come temptation. Temptation to do what we know we shouldn't do. In fact, this morning, I, I, I'm sure all around where we live and all, I mean, all across the globe, the people waking up this morning, they went to bed last night with the intention of, Oh, when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get my family to church. We're getting our life in order. We're doing all this stuff. And they woke up this morning, and that bed was warm, and, you know, and all it was nice. And they said, no, not today. You know, as soon as we get up, as soon as we face the day, we have to encounter temptation as to what we're going to do. Do for the Lord or not do for the Lord. Sometimes we think temptation's like this big thing. You know, it's only over these big sins. No, we face temptation constantly. And all the things that we do and all these little decisions we have to make through our day, am I going to do this or do that, go here or go there, when we're constantly being faced with how am I going to live today for the Lord, we're dealing with temptation of doing it our way over God's way. We need to pay more attention to the temptations that we have to deal with. Now this morning as we continue on our series in 1 Corinthians, and we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians really since the the first of the year, except for a few Sundays here and there, as we continue on in the series, we're going to get to the section of Scripture that deals with temptation. Now if you've maybe you missed some of our series or if you haven't been here, let me remind you what we've been talking about. As we're going through 1 Corinthians, we've been talking about the theme of a healthy family, a growing family. And that means a church family, that means a home family, that if you do healthy things, and I mean godly things, and you avoid the things God says don't go there, you become a healthy family and you're a growing family, growing spiritually and as a church, growing numerically. Now, we're using 1 Corinthians for a reason, in case you haven't heard this and don't remember why we're spending you know, a huge portion of our year going through one book of the Bible. We're looking at 1 Corinthians because God led the Apostle Paul to write to this church family that was not at all healthy. In fact, they were struggling greatly. They had started well, but they had begun to make compromises. They had let sin enter in. And they had given in to temptation time and time again to do the things they knew they were not supposed to do. And they had problems abundant. 
And so as Paul writes his family, he's addressing them and saying, pay attention to these things. Stop doing that. Start doing this. Watch out for this thing over here. We've already gone through some of that. We've talked about, we've studied some of the specific things that they deal with in, the, in, in this letter to that church. Now, another reason we're talking about this letter and, and talking about this church family is because we know they listened. They didn't do perfect, but if you were to go on into 2 Corinthians, well, that's, we're not going to go straight into that next, but if you look at the next letter, you will see that they heard the word that came to them. They responded, for the most part, and they made some changes and really did a lot better. And it's a good example of a church family that kind of gotten off the rails, paid attention to what are the things we are committed to, the things we should be doing, the things we should be avoiding, and they really took it to heart and turned around. So it's a great example for us. And if, as we've been going through this series We've been looking at those things that God led Paul to address, the different problems they were facing, and we've kind of studied and looked at how does it affect you and me today. Now, if you've read 1 Corinthians, and maybe if it's been a while, I'm going to give you some homework. Go home and read the whole book. It's worthwhile to do so. But as you read it, it almost seems like there's a negative tone. Like like Paul is, you know, he's really mad. And he is upset, but he, he doesn't hate these church members. That he loves them dearly. And he's, yes, he's getting on them about some things, but he's doing so in a loving, fatherly type of way. I mean, the scripture tells us that God disciplines those whom he loves. And Paul is disciplining this church that he is a spiritual father to. But he cares for them deeply. He loves them. Just because he's kind of hitting them over the head over a few things doesn't mean he doesn't love them. And as he's going through all their problems and all their issues, we kind of come across little sections of Scripture where Paul is kind of, you kind of catch Paul's heart for how much he loves these people and how he's, he's frightened for what they're, the direction they're going. And he's trying to say, pay attention, I love you, change what you're doing. And he reminds him of the strength they have in the Lord and how they're supposed to handle the tough things. That's kind of what we deal with this morning. He kind of gets out of the specific church problems they're dealing with for just a moment. And he goes to the subject of how they're so prone to failure and to give in to temptation because of the place they put themselves in. And he reminds them of some awesome promises of God when it comes to these temptations that the church is facing. And I love this passage because it's an awesome reminder of that you and I face temptations all the time and how we're to handle it when it happens. So today we're talking about the tempter's snare, how the tempter loves to get a hold of us and take us down. We're going to see how it happens. We're going to see some important reminders of what we're supposed to remember in those moments when the temptation comes. So we're going to get in Scripture this morning. Open your Bibles. If you haven't already, you see the passage. We're going to be at 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to look at the first 13 verses this morning. I want us to look at this together. Now, the first about 11 verses, you're not going to be quite sure what it talks about temptation, but you'll understand by the time we get to the end. Let's put our verses up this morning. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. Look at what Scripture says for us today. It says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud 
and they, they passed through all, they all passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. And they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us whom the culmination of the ages has come. Now look at verse 12 here. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. One more verse. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now that's a good passage of Scripture. Again, it's, it's one of my favorites when it comes talking about how to handle temptation. Now, in a, in a few moments, we're going to kind of look at that last verse, that 13th verse, about what it says about temptation. But before we get there, I want you to explain what Paul was talking about because he spent 11 verses talking about Old Testament stuff and all the trials that, they, that the Israelites went through when they were going between Egypt and the Promised Land. And you say, what does that have to do with temptation? Let me tell you what Paul is doing. Paul is getting historical. It's kind of like the, um, the old joke I, I heard, you may have heard this too, of the husband who gets in trouble with his wife and he goes and talks to his buddy and he says, oh, buddy, I, did it. I, I really did a number this time. She's really upset at me. It's so bad that she got hysterical. And, and his buddy said, what do you mean historical? Don't you mean hysterical? And he says, no, not hysterical, historical. She reminded me of all the bad things I've ever done. Some of you have been in that situation. It's historical, not hysterical. And Paul is getting historical. He's going, think back to this time. Now, what's important about this time? Other than the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, this time that Paul is referencing was probably the most awesome time in history of God's visible signs and wonders. I mean, that period between leaving Egypt and really even some of the stuff that happened in Egypt, all the plagues and all that happened there, between there and the promised land, there were so many I'm extremely clear and visual reminders of how awesome God is. You could not have been an Israelite in that time and said, I'm not sure if God exists. 
I mean, think about it. Not only were you, you know, let out of Egypt, which everybody said is impossible, out of bondage and slavery, but as you go, you've got the cloud, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire leading you, and God is winning the victories for you, and you walk through the Red Sea on dry ground with water on your left and water on your right, and how could you in that time say, I'm not sure if God exists? I mean, how, how awesome are those signs and wonders? And you get into the wilderness because God had a purpose for his people in the wilderness. And they're saying, hey, God, we're hungry. Boom, here's food. Manna from heaven. Wake up in the morning. Here's food. Hey, God, we're thirsty. Hey, Moses, go hit the rock. He hits the rock. Here's water. And time and time again, God did miraculous works in this particular period of history of his people. That's not the only time did God, God did amazing things, but I think there's more just miraculous, huge signs and wonders in that time period than any other time period apart from the life of Christ. My point is this. Again, there's no way that anybody could say, I don't know about God. They had all the signs that God was there that they could ask for, but what happened? They still failed they still sinned they still gave in to temptation even when god was giving them constant daily reminders that he is god he is there and he is over them now why is this so important (coughs) because some people get so wrapped up in god show me a sign that i know you're there and then i will then I'll serve you. Then I'll start going to church. Then I'll start doing the things. If you'll just give me a sign. You know what? Signs from God don't mean you're going to suddenly start doing everything right. Or it does not mean all your problems are fixed. There's a movie that came out oh, maybe a dozen years ago. And probably a lot of you saw. Uh, it's called uh, Bruce Almighty. Now some of you have seen that. It's a funny movie. It's not a movie you need to go get your theology of God from. But it's, it's funny about a man. If you haven't seen it, it's a man who, not sure if God is there, but he encounters God. And because he complained about God, God gave him all of his powers to see what this man Bruce could do with it. And, of course, he couldn't handle what God's powers were. And it's kind of funny. But there's a scene early in the movie where this, this man Bruce, he's, you know, he doesn't really believe God is there, but his life's falling apart. He's lost his job. He's... His relationship with his girlfriend's falling apart. Everything's just terrible. And he's driving down the road and he's finally decided to give prayer a try. And he's saying, God, just give me a sign. Right? And then the, the, the sign comes up on the road. It says, wrong way. You know, and then a truck comes in front of him. got all these signs. It says, stop, turn around, all this stuff. And he keeps praying, God, just show me a sign. And I just love that because, I mean, that's how we are. Oh, God, show me a sign. No, not that sign. Give me the one I want to see. Make it more clear. Make it more obvious. Give me a sign like that's going to fix anything. And Paul here is saying, hey, go back and look at these people, these Israelites. And this time, they had more signs than they knew what to do with. They were so incredibly blessed by the visible reminder of God. And yet they failed. Even then. Temptation was waiting right outside the door, and they gave in time and time again. Even with the reminder of God's blessing, they gave in to idolatry. 
even with God's provision, they gave their bodies over to immorality. Even with God's constant forgiveness, they continue to turn their face away. Why? Because temptation is always before us. I don't want you to think that just, God, give me a sign that's going to fix it. And Paul is trying to remind this church, the Corinthian church, and, and, and God is using Paul to remind us that you cannot forget, even in the most blessed situations, you can sin and you can fail and you can get prideful to the point of saying, it won't happen to me. That's what was going on in the Corinthian church. That's why verse 12 says, be careful if you think you stand, you're about to fall. These people, they had become prideful. In fact, when we started this series, when we right began in the series of Corinthians, I told you the number one sin that was going on in that church that they were dealing with above all things else was the sin of pride. Oh, these things won't happen to us. Oh, God will forgive us for this. Oh, it doesn't matter if we live like that. They were dealing with pride. And Paul's trying to point out, look at these people. God was so present and they were messing up. You think you're better than them? And don't we struggle from the same attitude? I know I do. I may look at a thousand people that went before me that fail, failed and, and gave in to the temptation, and I might say, well, it won't happen to me. That's pride. And I want you to understand this. Why am I spending time in this is that pride. The prideful heart of saying, this won't happen to me. The prideful heart that says, I can handle it. God, I I got enough strength on my own. This prideful heart is just the obvious precursor to falling into temptation. If you struggle with falling and failing and giving into the temptation of however the tempter comes at you, I can guarantee you pride was part of the equation. And this church had been failing so bad and so often because of the pride they let stay in their heart and in their church. And Paul's reminder, just because God is doing miraculous things in your life and around you doesn't mean that you are immune to giving in to temptation. That's kind of the bad news, right? I mean, we hate to hear that. We think, I want to be strong enough. I want to be able to handle temptation. I want to do all this. And you're telling me, even in the most glorious time in in the history of God's people, they were giving into temptation. Might be discouraged. Well, see, Paul doesn't leave them there, and he doesn't leave us there. He reminds us about the source of temptation and how we handle temptation. Put back up for us verse 13, because this is really what I want to get your attention this morning. I need you to understand the issue of pride and how it relates to temptation. That you cannot be in a place of thinking you can handle it, that you're standing firm, that you won't fall where somebody else did. But once you deal with that, you need to remember what it tells us in verse 13. It tells us three things. Look at this. We're just going to let the we're going to let scripture speak for itself this morning. No temptation has overtaken you <coughs> except what is common to mankind. Why is that so important, friends? 
Because you know what the enemy, what the tempter will whisper to you? No one understands you. No one understands your problem. You're different from everybody else. Oh, you're the worst sinner in this area. Oh, nobody has those thoughts. Nobody's done those things. See, the enemy wants to put us in a place that we're not meant to be in. This is actually an awesome reminder that no temptation has come, no temptation has taken place, overtaken anybody that hasn't already happened. This is Paul's way of saying there ain't nothing new under the sun. Now, why is that good for you and for me? That means no matter what you're dealing with, friends, no matter what, you're, what sin that you struggle with, there's somebody else that struggled with that and been through it as well. That means this morning that if, if you struggle with controlling the tongue, and the words you speak, and, and the gossip, or the slander, or the anger, or you struggle with you know, the actions of your flesh, the body, or you struggle in any other area, there is somebody else who struggles in that same area and who's been through it. And that's awesome to know, and God wants to remind us, that's why he calls us into a church and to come together and to admit we're a bunch of imperfect, sinful, messed up, but trying to get better people. Because if I'm living life on my own, the enemy's going to constantly put in my ear, no one's as bad as you. No one, no one really understands your problems. Don't go seek help. Don't go get with somebody else. And God's trying to tell us exactly the opposite. There is no temptation that is overtaken, that is not common to mankind. It means we have, I know this isn't fun, but we've got to be open and honest. We've got to go to somebody else and say, I'm struggling. Do you know what it's like to struggle in this way? How about we struggle together? Maybe somebody who's gone through the spiritual battle of something you're struggling with and say, you know what, help me. You know what I'm feeling. There's an awesome thing. It's scary, but it's awesome of being vulnerable to somebody else and saying, here's my stuff, here's my issues, would you pray with me? But you know, when I've been in those situations, there have been some of the most blessed times in my life. Because usually that other person, another brother would say to me, I've had the same thing. And a lot of times, God puts that person there in my life and says, you know what, I've had the same things. I've climbed over that wall. Let me show you the way. But if we let the enemy make us believe that, that we are only to ourselves, that nobody else is really going through the same thing we're going through, that our problems are fully unique, you know what's happening? Pride is coming up in our heart. This is an awesome reminder. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I mean, nothing new. God has called us together because there's other people struggling with exactly what you're struggling with. And there's other people that have been through exactly what you're going through today. Look at the second reminder. I love this. God is faithful. Really, that, that applies over this. All we're talking about, but I want, as it relates to this verse, and God is faithful. Listen. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. This is one of the great misquotes of Scripture. People say, God won't give you more than you can handle, more than you can bear. That's not in Scripture. 
God will give you more than you can handle all the time because it forces you to rely on him. But scripture does tell you he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. In other words, this, this part of the verse tells us two important things. One, God is not the source of that temptation. You can't go say, God is tempting me. God is putting the situation there that, to call me to sin. God is not doing that. And secondly, God will never force you to give in to that temptation. God will never put you in a situation that you are tempted beyond what you are capable of being in. It won't happen. You can take that scriptural promise and, and say, God is not going to allow me to be tempted beyond what I can bear. Now, God is not the source of temptation, but he certainly does allow temptation in your life. You may say, well, that's not fair. If God truly loved me, he wouldn't allow me to be tempted. He allowed his son to be tempted. He allowed his son, Jesus Christ, on multiple occasions to face temptation. And Jesus Christ is our awesome, perfect example of how to deal with temptation. But you know why God does that? Because temptation has a purpose. Now, God's not going to force us to sin. He'll never put you in a situation that you're forced to give in to that temptation to make the wrong choice. But he will allow you to go through it. He will allow you to face that moment of crisis. He absolutely will. Because when you learn to battle in the Spirit, when you learn to reject the tempter and to rely on the Lord, He deepens your faith in such an amazing way. He takes you to a new place. He deepens and produces one or more wonderful character in you. Temptation has a purpose. That's why Jesus, after His baptism, before really getting into His ministry... 40 days, go out in the desert, get as tired as you can, and hungry, and thirsty, and then the tempter comes. But did you, you notice in that passage the power that comes out of that time of temptation? Because Jesus knew how to rebuke it. Jesus knew how to handle it. Temptation has a purpose. It doesn't come from God. God won't allow it to be beyond what you can handle. But he will allow it and he wants you to know how to face it. So it deepens your character and your faith and your walk in him. And here's, here's what I love. This kind of takes that point, takes the next level, the last part of the verse, last sentence. Listen to this. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, quickly, go back to the previous sentence. How does it start? God is faithful. Right there in the middle of that verse. God is faithful. It means God is not telling a lie here. He's not making this up. This is a promise of God. It says this. When you face a temptation, God may have allowed it, but you know what God does? He does provide, meaning he gives you a way every single time to get out of that temptation, to endure it. To be victorious in that moment. That is a promise of God. I love, uh, <clears throat> I know some of you enjoy this. I love puzzle games. I'm not about like jigsaw puzzles. I'm like, like crossword puzzles, um, you know, number puzzles. Like, I don't know, some of you play this. Some of you probably can't stand it. Either people love this or hate it. I like the little game, uh, number game called Sudoku. Sudoku? I don't know. Everybody got a different way of saying it. Some of you will probably play that. If you don't know what that is, 
It's this little kind of math, not really a math game, but it's a, it's a puzzle that you got to fill in the numbers and blank spots based on the numbers they, they give you. And it's, I think it's fun. I like that. It's kind of challenging. And it ranges from extremely simple to very, very, very difficult. And I like the more, not the extreme, but I kind of like the difficult. And now, some people could, they don't want to spend two minutes doing that. I hate it, that kind of stuff. I love it. One of the reasons I love doing those things is this. I know there's a solution. It's in the rule of the game. They cannot give you a puzzle that you cannot solve. There is an answer there. If you take your time, if you look carefully, if you go through it, there's a guaranteed solution. If it wasn't, they'd be breaking the rules. They give you the game so that there is a way to solve it. And I love that. And that knowledge that there is a solution, there is an answer, there's a way through this thing, I love that. It keeps me going. Now my mind was, I've got to find it. I've got to figure it out. What is the solution to solve the puzzle? Well, see, somewhat applies to the temptations we're facing. God says, you face a temptation, guarantee there is a solution. There's a way out. Promise of God. And I'm going to tell you here, right now, it's a whole lot easier to find than some of the puzzles that are out there. Um, I think when it comes to temptation, probably 90% of the time the answer is, run, get out of there. You know, I mean, it's pretty simple a lot of times. God says, you know what, don't be in that situation. So God said to Joseph, when Potiphar's wife came in, he said, get out of there. Even if it cost him leaving his coat behind and the trouble it caused. Run from temptation. Don't sit around and talk to it. Don't see if you can just kind of be strong enough in the moment. Run from it. That's a lot of times the temptation you face, that's the immediate answer. I'm going to tell you right now. God says he'll provide a way for you to get out of the situation. Now, that's not the answer every time. In fact, sometimes God calls us to confront the temptation look at christ that's what he did he knew how to confront it with scripture and to rebuke the enemy and to stand firm in faith god calls you that sometimes but the point is god will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear he will give you a way out and a way to endure it every single time so answer me this if you give in to that temptation, whatever the temptation that gets you, whatever that favorite sin is that you just, I mean, it's, you know, it just, oh, it hooks you. When you give in, when you make the wrong choice, when you fail, whose fault is it? Whose responsibility is it that that happened? Is it God's? You, are you going to say to God, God, you, you put me in, a, in too tough of a situation. No, that's not true. Some people say, God, I couldn't help it. They'll say, I'm addicted. You know what addiction is? Addiction is a lie. It is. It's a lie of the enemy. <laughs> God is not going to put you in a situation that he will not provide a way. You're not ever going to be forced completely against your will to make that choice, to give in that sin. It is, that, it is a lie. Yes, we get so ingrained in habits and patterns it feels like we may not have a choice sometimes. But every time we make the wrong choice, every time we give in to sin, every, it is we 
Somewhere in that process, we made the choice to disobey God. We made the choice not to search the way out to his answer. It is our responsibility. It was our sin. Now you're going, Greg, that's kind of cruel. That's kind of harsh. You're telling me that every time I messed up, I can't blame it on somebody else? You mean I got to look at myself and say, I'm the one that did that? And I can't blame this thing over here, this circumstance in my life, this problem I think that... No, you can't. And I'm sorry if you think that's cruel. But I'm going to tell you, friends, if you want to start finding victory and temptation, that's the only way out. When you take responsibility, when you say, when I failed, it was not because of something else, because God's fault, it's because I did it. And I messed up. And you know what God is? God is faithful because I know the next temptation is around the corner. You know what God's going to do then? Is he going to say, because you messed up on the last time, I'm not giving you a way out of this one. I'm going to put you in this temptation beyond what you can bear. That can't happen because it's against God's word. And that next temptation comes up, guess what? The same promise of God is there. It is not beyond what you can bear. He's given you a way out. I don't know some of you going, okay, that's what the Word of God says, but that's not been my experience. You say, God gives me a way out, gives a solution, gives a, but I keep failing. I keep falling short. I keep giving in. Even if you're willing to get to the place this morning of saying, it's my responsibility. I did it. I'm not going to blame God or anybody else or anything else. I did it. I keep giving in. You know where the real answer to all this lies? It's not just trying to Knuckle under and say, I can do it, I can hold on, I'll just try my hardest, I'll try again next time. That's not, that's not the emphasis of this passage. You know where the true strength comes from? It is in your walk with Christ. Because Jesus, when he faced temptation, who was he connected with? The Father. He did not try to handle what was coming to him on his own. It was because he was constantly connected to his Father in heaven that he knew how to handle what came his way. And if you are trying to face temptation, if you walk ahead of there saying, I'm going to really just try harder next time. You know what that is? That's the pride saying, I can get through it next time. But if you say, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to do everything I can to deepen my walk with Christ, to strengthen my faith in Him, to just have daily communion there at the feet of my Savior, to worship Him, to put Him as priority in my life, to seek my life with Jesus above all else. Then you know what happens? Because you're so concentrating on on growing in, in Jesus, when that temptation comes... You're not going to be focused on saying, I'll be strong enough. I'll try hard enough. You're saying, Christ, I'm looking to you. You have promised is not above what I can bear. And you are giving a way out. And it's your strength that is carrying me through. You are not going to get better at handling the temptations by just trying to be stronger, try harder. We can take the promise of God won't let it be beyond what you can bear. And he provides a way out. But you only understand those things, see those ways, under, know that truth, 
as you have a walk with Jesus Christ. And as soon as you begin to reject him, and as soon as you begin to say, well, I don't need to walk with him every day, every moment, it's okay if I start putting other influences around me. You know what you put yourself in line for? Failure and temptation. The fall, you are caught in the tempter's snare. Through your walk with Christ, through a relationship in Him, through reliance on His guidance, strength, and the Holy Spirit's filling of you, is when you begin to find victory and temptation. You begin to see how victory and temptation creates Christian character and deepened faith. How it has its awesome work. Then you understand why God will allow you to face those things. Then you know what's going to happen? If you're, if you're really cultivating that life with Christ, if you're relying on his strength and guidance to deal with the temptations, you're going to get up in the morning and your feet are going to hit that floor and you're not going to say, well, I know I'm going to mess up. You're going to say, I can't wait for the stuff to come because in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, I'm going to fight back every temptation that comes my way by the enemy. And you can face the start of your day with a victorious attitude. I know Christ is going to win. There's a big difference between thinking, I'm going to fail today, and I'm going to see Christ victorious in my life. Hmm. So let's, let's end on this, friends, because this problem is not an uncommon problem, right? That's what it, it tells the Scripture. There's no temptation coming that's not as common to man. If every one of us is going to be here honest, we know what it is to fail in the moment of temptation. And probably not just fail once, but twice and over and over and over again. All of us probably here, and I'll speak for myself, give testimony. I know what it's like to have the enemy say, oh, you're the worst of the worst. Nobody understands really what you're going through. or Nobody thinks those things or does those things. The enemy wants to pull me away from everything else. He wants to pull me out of the church body. And God is saying, I'm faithful. Don't you know you can be victorious in every situation? Well, today, I'm guessing that there's probably a lot of us here this morning who say, I've been failing a whole lot lately. In whatever area, I mean... Friends, if we went around this room and started talking about the areas we're failing, we would be here all day and then some. I know, I know there's struggles going on. You're failing with an attitude, an action, a word, some kind of sin that's going on. You've been failing and you've been failing and you've been failing, but God is faithful. Because I know when you walk out of here, that temptation's waiting for you. It's right outside the door, ready to hit you of what are you going to do when you're back in work tomorrow or around those people tomorrow in this situation or when you have that moment when nobody's looking god is faithful you will not be in a situation beyond what he gives you a way out and it won't be done in your strength or just by your self-commitment god will lead you guide you strengthen you as you commit to walk with christ let me pray for you this morning. Let's go for the Lord right now because I want to pray over you and encourage you because some of you, I just, I feel the Lord saying, some of you desperately need 
a moment of encouragement this morning. Because you feel this morning, well, you just feel like a failure, like a loser. Like the enemy's been trying to tell you that. And that is a lie, complete lie. Right now, in this very moment, even though I'm talking, I want you to begin to pray to God. You don't worry about anybody else around you, anything else going on. And I just want you to get an attitude of prayer right now. Whether that means you've got to stay right where you are, or you've got to stand, or you've got to get on your knees, or you've got to go, it doesn't matter. You get an attitude of prayer right now. I want you, even, even when I'm talking, you are talking with God. Right in this moment. He'll use, he's amazing. The Holy Spirit will take over my words, and he'll take over what you're saying. He'll, he'll use them both. Don't be worried about just anything else, but you begin right now to begin talking to God. And I want you, as you're talking to him, I want you to, I want you to tell him you know those things you've been hearing are lies. The things from the enemy. That you're not good enough. That you'll never get it right. Whatever lie you've been hearing, whispered in your ear, you know what they are. I want you to just call them out to God right now. And as you call each one out, say, this is a lie. I'm rebuking this lie. I'm rejecting it. Call out to God. Say, this is what's been whispered in my ear, and I'm not going to accept it any longer. And then I want you to go, God, I want you to give him thanks and praise for being faithful and forgiving and loving and merciful and grace-filled. Just, just praise him. Let the praise pour out of your heart. Even if you've you got to pray out loud, it's okay. Just, just start giving him the praise and the thanks for who he is. Praise should flow out of us when we understand the character of God. I want you to affirm with him this morning as you're praying to him. Affirm that what scripture has told you, that you, he will not allow you to be in a situation that he doesn't provide you a way out. Or an ability, a, a way to endure it. That he will not force you into the temptation. Take responsibility if you need to this morning. Say it's, I, don't blame it on somebody else. If you've been blaming God, confess it to him. Ask for forgiveness of that. But take responsibility for your own things. And God is faithful. He's going to meet you right there. So this morning, let's get renewed, re-strengthened, retrained when it comes to handling temptation. Let's go out of this place saying, I'm not going to keep trying to do this on my own, but through the power of Jesus Christ in me, through my walk with Him, through my commitment to cultivate that relationship with Him, to be the branch and let Him be the vine and let us be connected so life-giving comes from him to me. Make that your commitment to him this morning. Just tell the Lord right now that's what your commitment is. Don't try to tell him you're just going to be stronger. You're going to just try harder. We've seen how that goes. Commit to him a renewed walk in the name of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and I thank you again for this opportunity to be here to worship you, to learn from you. God, there is not a one of us in this sanctuary, in this place, who could stand up with any integrity and try to say, um, 
try to say that we don't know what it's like to fail in a moment of temptation. Because we, we all know that, God. We all, we all know it too well. In fact, most people here this morning are probably pretty in tune with those areas that, I mean, it seems to hook us and get us every time. It's kind of like, there's, I mentioned earlier this morning, God, there's, there's probably a lot of people who wanted to get up. They know you called them into church. I'm thinking, just, I mean, a, just, not just for our church. I'm not going everywhere, God. There's how many people I've talked to. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get involved. And the tempter says, no, there's next week. You can try again later. Don't worry about it. And, but there's people come this morning who are coming because it's the routine and it's the tradition but they've been coming out of a week of failure in that, whatever that thing is. Maybe nobody else in this place knows that sin that they're struggling in. God, you do. That person knows it too. They know how they have just fallen short time and time again. God, I pray this morning that in the midst of the conviction that I know comes, they're also met with grace and love God, and they would just, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just have, a, just have your presence overwhelm them, God, and give them calmness as they begin to receive your grace and forgiveness. And I pray for commitments that made today that are just completely renewed desires to walk with you every day. Not try to be stronger ourselves, but try to be deeper more committed in our walk with Jesus. Probably more spirit-filled in the way we release our control over our things. To be people who praise readily and passionately because we know who you are. God, we thank you for these things. We pray this by the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Before we sing,